Welcome to Drink This Beer, a show dedicated to craft beer and the people who make it. Each episode, we'll get the stories behind the brews you love. Now, here are your hosts, Tim Dennis and Aaron Williams. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? And welcome to Drink This Beer. It's our podcast that talks to the... Sorry, that over again because that was terrible. And welcome to the Drink This Beer podcast. It's the show that talks to the folks around the country and the world that make the beer you love to drink. I'm Aaron Williams. And I'm Tim Dennis. And uh, we've got a great show this week. We are talking to Allagash Brewing Brewmaster, Jason Perkins. Jason, thanks so much for joining us this week. Yeah, no problem. Happy to. So we've just opened up a cool ship, Rad. And uh, before we get into the interview, can you just tell us a little bit about uh, this beer? Yeah, sure. That's a that's a that's a pretty uh, special beer you got there. It's a beer that you can only get uh, at the brewery. So I knew a guy. Uh, someone, he, must, he must have either come or someone was kind enough to send it to you. So, yes. So uh, that beer um, is one of a, a couple beers that we make um, from you know spontaneously fermented uh, wort, spontaneously fermented beer. So we kind of started a project back in 2007 where we were um, looking to um, kind of mimic the traditional production of Belgian-style Lambic, kind of seeing if we could do the same kind of procedure uh, in somewhere other than, you know, a greater radius of Brussels, Belgium, where traditionally these beers have been made previously. Um, And so we started that project back in 07 and uh, have been doing it ever since. Uh, We're actually to the tail end of that brewing season at the moment. Uh, and Cool Ship Red is one of, at this point, about three beers that we regularly make from the same base beer. Um, so that is um, made from roughly two to two and a half year old spontaneously fermented beer. Lives in oak for its entirety until the very the very end of the process where we age it on raspberries um, for about four months, uh, fresh local raspberries, and then and then bottle it. What's delicious? Yes, absolutely. We're loving it. So, Jason, what? Got you started on your craft beer journey. How did you uh, get involved with craft beer? Well, I think probably like a lot of um, people in the brewers in the craft beer world, it really started with home brewing. Uh, you know, I started home brewing um, in my college years, and then my brother was was older than me, two years older than me, is, was a, a home brewer as well. My dad even home brewed a little bit when I was a kid. So, you know, I was just kind of fascinated, and especially once I started getting into drinking beer in the college years, uh, the concept of being able to make it myself was pretty intriguing, and I kind of got the bug that way. Uh, and then, you know, got a, got a, my foot in the door at a little teeny brewery in Montana where I was living at the time. And um, once I started doing it and getting paid for it, granted not very much, but uh, I just fell in love with it and, you know, never kind of never looked back. So, um, you know, I was there for about a year, worked for another brewery for about six months, and then um, started working at Allagash in 1999, um, very beginning of 1999, and I've been there since. That's uh, not a bad run, then, actually. So uh, no, we just we just noticed here something interesting, kind of veering off topic. But Cool Ship Red is in green glass, and all the other ones we oh, yeah. have here are in brown glass. And uh, uh, Brian just mentioned it's the first one he can remember that he's seen in green glass. Is that the only one you guys do in that? And uh, wh- why do you <laughs> yeah. do that on that one? It's it's a long story. I'll give you the shortest version. Okay, I can. okay, right. there you go. Uh, but. The, the, the super short is, um, yes, that is one of the only a couple beers we've put in green glass, um, but we'll vi- um, soon be phasing them out completely out of green glass. So, um, you know, when we go back to 2000, I think the first time we bottled um, Cool Ship beers was um, in 2009, 2010, you know, because it's a couple-year aging process. 
And at the time, we really wanted to put it in what, what the bottle you're drinking out of is what you'd call a split champagne bottle or a 375 ml bottle. So um, they're called split champagne bottles because predominantly they're used by champagne producers, um, and they're almost exclusively in green glass. Um, but we really like the shape. We like the size. Um, and so we were having trouble finding amber glass, which is more of a traditional um, bottle that you'd use for beer making. Um, but we were able to find it in green. And so we ran some super small scale experiments uh, to see if it would work for us. And one of the drawbacks to glass other than amber for beer um, is the, the, the fact that, you know, amber blocks uh, UV light from uh, getting in contact with the beer. Yep. Whereas all other glasses doesn't do as good a job. Green does better than clear, but not as good as amber. One of the, the, the basic main chemical reaction that happens when UV light strikes beer is it reacts with compounds that are uh, in hops. So in champagne, of course, that doesn't matter. Yeah. So in beer, it does. The worst example, of course, is something like Heineken or Corona, where it's got that very distinct skunk flavor. I have no idea with, what you're talking about. That's terrible. <laughs> cool shit, with cool shit beers, um, we go through uh, an aging process with the hops, which is a whole other story which we intentionally aged the hops for at least three years. Um, and in that aging process, the compounds that would get affected by light struck are very much dissipated. So you, in a, you can get away with using green glass and not have the same effect you would have in a beer that has fresh hops in it. Yeah, it's interesting because sometimes some people actually go for the light struck uh, kind of funky flavor that uh, that it puts. Because you did that with one of your homebrews. I didn't did. You? I don't yeah. want to get off on a tangent no, too sorry, much, but I brew a. Uh, I have a homebrew saison that I've brewed many, many times. Really happy with it, and I did a. Uh, uh, American farmhouse version of that. And uh, when I bottled it, I took uh, half and put in green glass and half in brown glass, uh, the amber glass, in 750s. And out of that batch, I took one bottle of each and sat them in indirect sunlight for six months. And then we tasted them side by side and with our homebrew club. And I think everyone, Brian, was it everyone or everyone but one, uh, preferred I, the green glass. I think everybody preferred the green glass. Yeah. And it developed... It was more interesting over time, yeah. both early on and later on. Definitely more one. funk, yeah. but not yes. that hardcore skunk character. So yeah. uh, have you guys ever played around with that, with those beers, to kind of set them out in the light yeah, and see yeah, what you I get out think, of them? I, I think it's an interesting point. And, you know, the other thing to, to keep in mind, especially with the champagne glass, the effect is even even more minimal because the glass is so thick. Right. That, okay. Um, you know, the way that light would pass through – uh, say, once again, a Heineken bottle, which is really thin glass uh, and a little bit lighter green, it's going to be more, there's going to be more of it. Um, that being said, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that using glass that has more uh, of an ability for light to get in is going to affect the flavor of the beer. You know, we could argue about whether that's a good or bad effect, and very much of that is dependent on the beer. Certain beers might um benefit from it arguably and other beers might not benefit from it but there's the one thing i think all brewers would agree in is there's a change there there is more of a change in um, flavor characteristic when using green glass than there would be with amber glass and there are brewers you know good friends of mine who have said i i prefer green glass and because it you know with some of these funkier beers because we like the change in flavor that happens right there. and and that's great what, I, what we've chosen to do is 
um, we're, we are now transitioning everything into amber glass, and actually the latest round of, of cool ship beers even went into amber glass. And really, in a nutshell, the shortest reason for that is there's enough going on, in our opinion, in those beers in terms of change. You know, it's a live beer. You know, you got those spontaneous microbes and Brett that are still kind of doing their thing. There's enough of that going on to create change in the beer over time that I'm okay with kind of ruling out the, the sun factor. Um, and, you know, that's one of those factors that's out of your control because what, a, what, what your consumer does or your retailer does with that's your true. beer when you ship it to, like, I can't dictate where they store those. Yeah, beers, once it leaves so. your facility, you have no idea where it goes. Yeah, so, so, yeah. So I prefer, we prefer to protect it the best we can, I guess. That makes sense. Thing. More brewer has more control over their beer that way than ship it in clear glass and include a sun lamp with it and see what they do with it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. So, Jason, back and way yeah. up here, we kind of, we rolled right into that and had some questions on things, but, uh, Looking back, kind of at the earliest days of Allagash, the beer that kind of got Allagash uh, started was Allagash White. And uh, at the time, a hazy Belgian-style beer, which really wasn't uh, seen much here. So the the reception of that, when it first uh, launched, people were a little hesitant. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, they really were. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, you know, Rob started the company by himself in 95, and you know, you know, ran it for a couple of years by himself and, you know, hired his first employee, I think in 97. And, um, and then I started in 99, but, um, even by the time I started four years in, uh, roughly into his business, it was still a huge challenge and was for, you know, almost 10 more years where, um, you know, every, everywhere we tried to, you know, we bought a brew fest or, or getting, you know, trying to get into a, a bar to get the beer on tap, just, just constant pushback of, you know, why does the beer look this way and why does it why does it smell this way and you know you know some people even saying you know your beer is infected you know <laughs> constantly having to educate sure. people about a style that people weren't familiar with and um you know luckily the times have changed quite yeah. a bit and you know it's, it's something people are used to now but yeah those early years it's it's easy to forget in this you know it's just such a wonderful time that we're in now of of, of huge awareness of various beer styles and um, you know, various flavor compounds that beer can produce, you know. It wasn't all that long ago that it was just not like that at all. But if you look at a beer like Allagash White, the haze level on that is, is fairly subdued. You know, it's not like these uh, OJ beers that we're seeing now, you know, with uh, some of these Northeast IPAs. And, you know, we talked to uh, Alchemist about Hetty Topper, and he was talking about the the issues he had with having a hazy beer at the time. And, again, not that hazy. So... But we're seeing yeah. a lot of kind of the old school brewers that are opposed to these New England style IPAs with the super haze and all that. What's your personal take on on those beers? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good question. I mean, it's certainly generated. You know, there's a lot of comments and sure, conversation yeah. about that these days. You know, I think for us, you know, just to quickly say, Al, guess what? You're you're right. It is a you know, granted, compared to today, a subdued haze. But I think what I, me as a as uh, the brewer and the brewmaster of Allegash White would like to, to point out is it's a controlled, specified haze. Like it's something we yeah. work very hard on to maintain and and have worked for years. It's kind of one of the cha- most challenging things we have to do is to to make a beer that you know hopefully wherever you drink it, and all across you know all our markets that we're in, you get it and it has a, a very similar level of haze in it. And that's not easy to do, and it takes a lot of work. So. And there's within our quality specifications of the brewery, there are very tight 
parameters that we allow for, and we measure in a variety of ways. So I think that's an important thing to note. And that, to me, if I did have a problem, I guess you could say, with um, New England style IPAs, that would be it, is that I, I don't per se have any issue with heavy haze or, um, you know, the kind of uh, intensity of, of haze and intensity of flavor that the beers have. But my only, um, I guess, personal opinion is there are cases, and this is not across the board whatsoever, there's some people doing an amazing job at it, is that there's sometimes this, there is a lack of a specification or a lack of a, uh, of a range that's acceptable. It's almost like more is better. Mm-hmm. More haze is better than not. And, you know, as long as it's hazy, I'm okay with it. But, you know, there's, you know, we, we measure it very tightly with a number of different instruments. And there's a huge range there, just like there's a range in anything else. And, sure. Um, so I guess my only beef with it is really just, you know, what is the intent of the brewer uh, when they made that beer? And, and you could say the same thing for any number of parameters, color, you know, bitterness level, hop aroma, whatever, you know. So it's, you know, my opinion as a brewer, you start with an idea and you set your specifications of what you're looking for, and then you try to achieve that in the end. And, you know, I've seen some cases, and once again, not across the board, where, you know, it's it's more just a, you know, it reminds me a little bit of the, the IBU race of um, oh, whatever yeah. it was, five, the, five six, seven. The more bitter ago. you can get, exactly. How many more yeah. hops can you throw into right. it? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, so I, you know, once again, I don't have a problem with the style at all. Uh, and I, you know, there's some breweries that I think are doing an amazing job with, you know, hop forward, super uh, intense hop aroma beers. And, you know, I'm, I'm personally a fan of that. Uh, it's just a, you know, haze for haze sake, I guess is the part that I don't. You know, and I think that's something, as many people as I've asked about this, or as many opinions of unasked opinions that I've heard, uh, I don't think anybody's mentioned that aspect of it. And that that makes perfect sense to me. Like, I don't don't necessarily get the the blanket hate for hazy beers because I think the innovation and all that we see is kind of what makes American brewing great. You know, we take styles or inspiration from other places and do something new with it. But... uh, I understand what you're saying there. It makes perfect sense that if your beer is going to be just insanely hazy, there should still be a parameter there of what is acceptable and what you should get out of the beer each time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if your spec is moderately it's insanely hazy to very insanely hazy, like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I'm cool with that. You know, but at least have an idea of what you're doing. So, and like I said, I think there's, I, I think you're dead on with the innovation side of things. Like, you know, I mean, I think that's what makes craft beer great is that over the last two decades of, of wonderful innovation, you know, if, if, you know, stuff like that was stifled, we wouldn't be where we are today. So I think it's great in a lot of ways. Yeah. Now, uh, one of the things uh, that's really cool and and you guys are no cool. That was a, that was a, um, that was not a pun. That was not intended, but uh, yeah, is, is your cool ship. Now I, I had the privilege to uh, take a tour of your place back in October. Shout out to Bob, by the way, because he's awesome. Um, And it's almost like, you know, you kind of go into your cool ship building and it's almost like that trailer outhouse or almost like a, um, like a uh, uh, an ice fishing shed. Uh, Did you there. just say the brewery is like an outhouse? No, I didn't want to say it like that, but it was like really small, <laughs> kind of like kind of back yeah. in the back in the you know kind of back in the back. Um, tell us about the cool ship, how that's made, and how you guys uh, work with that. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. I mean, it's one of the, one of the. I didn't mean to call it an outhouse, by the way. I just, <laughs> outbuilding, outbuilding. Yes. Outhouses yes. are funky, after that's all. Right. I'm just saying. That's true. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll just tell you really quick that when we when we built that in 2007, we didn't have. And you've been to the brewery, you've seen that we have the space we have and how we've expanded there. But when, when in 07, when we built it, we did we had we were on the edge of our property line, and we had you know no ability to build any other space. But we really wanted to put this cool ship in, so that was our solution. Honestly, that's where that came from. Is that that little postage stamp that that shed, if you will, is on, um, is really the only available space we had per town code to build another structure, <laughs> uh, and that's how that ended up being where it is and the size it is and all that. So, um, and it's kind of funny the way we've built fermentation tanks around it. So there's like this um, opposing uh, thing there of this old school uh, way of making beer, and then this new school, new fermenters next to it. Um, but like I said earlier, we, you know, we, in, you know, we've started with Belgian style beers from, from 1995 on, you know, lambic style or spontaneous fermentation beers are very, a very distinctly Belgian thing. Um, and so we started batting around the idea, um, in, in er, early mid 2007 of, you know, what if we tried to do, um, these kind of beers in Portland, Maine, when historically they've been something you can only make in Brussels, or at least that's what the you know the books would tell you at the time. Uh, and so we we put put it in and you know built a room and and got a cool ship made. And you know effectively what we do there is we instead of um, cooling the wort, you know the the hopped wort that we create in the brew house through normal methods, you know through a heat exchanger or whatever, it gets sent directly into the cool ship, full boiling temperatures. Um, and it cools in the vessel overnight. Uh, and during that cooling process, we get inoculation from local uh, wild yeasts, Britannomyces, um, lactic acid bacteria, et cetera. No pitch yeast whatsoever, you know, no cultured yeast, just what happens naturally in that cooling process. It, the work goes from there um, and more or less, you know, goes, gets, make sure it gets mixed so the inoculation gets spread through the, the liquid and then right into barrels. And it's in barrels for... You know, one to three years. Most of it's two to three years before we use it. Well, Jason, I think you may have mentioned earlier that you're. Are you just on the tail end of your cool ship season now? Yeah. So we we pretty much only brew uh, in November and December. Um, there was a time where we brewed a little bit in the spring, uh, and I think maybe once we brewed in late October. Um, but for the most part, we're looking. For, and this is specific to us. Uh, I'm sure other other folks uh, in other regions, certainly in Belgium, they brew right through the winter. But in Maine, we you know we have pretty deep cold winters, um, and so we we've avoided those. Uh, we had a lot of heavy snow, uh, and so on. And um, so through our experience over the last you know ten plus years, we've we've found that you know the best results we see are when the overnight temperature is you know roughly 25 Fahrenheit to 40 Fahrenheit for overnight temps. So that's what we target, and um, you know we brewed today. Um, and we brewed it once more earlier this week. And, you know, I think we'll get maybe one or two more brews in this season before it gets to the point where those overnights get low 20s into the teens and below. Which is funny because we're based here in Atlanta, and, like, we maybe get three days of that. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. And we just had our first brewery that installed a cool ship. We have our, our first cool ship in Georgia now. So we're, uh, we may actually just uh, just today, as we're talking, is the first day we've really dipped into the colder weather. We've been in the 60s recently, but uh, who knows? We may come up on a cool ship day here soon. They may have to rename it yeah. Warm Ship. The Warm Ship, yes. yes. <laughs> so. 
So we're looking forward. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, and, and like I'll just reiterate that, uh, you know, I, we sometimes get asked the question about what the right temperature is. And I always say, well, I'm going to only tell you what's worked for us because, you know, in different, different parts of the country, you're going to get different microbes and different activities. So what's to say that it won't, the temperature range that's successful for you or successful to the flavors that you want to get is different. Yeah. So it's all kind there's of a, a little bit of, there's a little bit of superstition involved too, because, <clears throat> you know, if we have a batch that we're not happy with that happened to be cooled on a night that was in, you know, low fifties, we don't even know that for two years. And so uh, yeah. are we ever <laughs> going to take that chance again? That's true. You know? yeah. we're, we're not. So there's definitely some, uh, some of that too. You know, if, if you, if you could get the results quicker, I think we'd, be able to experiment a little bit more, but we just don't fool around. What works has worked, so we're sticking with it. That now, is there a process when you're brewing for the cool ship as far as the actual wort prep preparation? Is there a difference there? Yeah, yeah, there's a pretty big difference. We, um, you know, we're we're trying to create uh, a wort that is, um, you know, designed for the long haul. You know, typical, of course, beer is fermented in, you know, maybe on the short end a week, the long end a couple weeks and maybe even beyond for some, some bigger beers. But, um, you know, we're trying to create a wort, you know, a food basically for these, um, you know, wide range of microbes that's going to last much longer. So we, we do intentionally uh, do um, our version of a turbid, turbid mash, which is basically we're kind of beating up the grain. That's the simplest way to say it. And, and leaching as much as we can out of it, including complex sugars, starches, um, stuff that will give, you know, mostly the Britannomyces something to chew on for the long, long term. Um, we also, like I mentioned uh, earlier, we use aged hops. Um, with aged hops, we take whole leaf hops, we age them in-house for uh, around three years. And that what that does is it reduces the alpha acids, which is the primary um, contributor to bitterness in beer, but it doesn't reduce the um, preservative quality of the hops. So, we can use, um, you know, a good chunk of, uh, of hops and still get preservative qualities to keep kind of the microbes we don't want out of the wort, um, but still not get a, a beer that was high bitterness because it's not something that works well in a style like that. Um, the interesting thing about aging hops is when you age hops, it's not very, not very nice for them. So they get these um, cheesy, uh, you know, sweat socks type aromas to Yummy. them. They don't really don't smell very good. <laughs> so one of the other things you have to do to kind of counteract that is boil for an extended period of time. So we boil for um, three to three and a half hours. And one of the reasons we do that is that those aromas of, of, of sweat socks and cheese are fairly volatile. So they'll, they'll actually boil off um, through the kettle. So, but those seem to be some qualities. You, you get those in some uh, traditional lambics and goos quite a bit. You know, you'll, you'll try one that's like, wow, this is really cheesy or feedy. Or feedy. Yeah. Yeah, and then then people like say, "Oh, that's delicious," and people are like, "Are you kidding this me?" This is the cheesiest, feediest <laughs> beer I've ever had. It's fantastic. So, it sounds yeah. crazy, but yeah. some of those have been amazing. Yeah. yeah. Now, Jason, you guys have done just a tremendous amount of amazing beers at Allagash. I think probably introduced a lot of people to you know Belgian styles and and wild American ale and that. But is there a beer that you've wanted to brew that you just haven't been able to get to yet? What's your dream beer? <laughs> um. That's a good question. A very uh, hazy Northeast IPA. Right. No, it's maybe not. In the cool <laughs> ship. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, nothing comes, like, straight off to the top of my head, but 
that's um, I can just answer like kind of generally and say that there will never be a time where I feel like I've I've gotten a chance to do all that stuff. I mean, we've got you know we've luckily the consumer this day these days that's they want the new stuff, they want new things, and so when you're a brewer in that scenario, you know it's amazing. Like, you know, you, you have an opportunity to, you know, I'd hate to live in a world where the consumer doesn't want new flavors because it wouldn't allow us as brewers to, to fool around and keep doing stuff. And, you know, we've got a little pilot system that gets run all the time. And I just brewed on a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, you know, I think there will always be new ideas and new things for us to do, but I, I can't, I can't say there's any one, one beer that, I've been dying to brew because there's a lot. Okay. All right. Makes sense. Nice. Now, what's, uh, what is coming up next for Allagash? What is coming up next? Uh, we've got um, for, let's see, the latest thing we just actually packaged today, um, a beer that we're calling Pastiche, which is um, basically a blended, blended barrel-aged beer, um, but non-sour. And I say that because, you know, we've done a tremendous amount of blending uh, beers for our sour beer program. So Coastal Persergams, one we do every year. We have a number of other ones that we do on a small scale. Um, and really, we haven't done it much uh, in terms of blending on the non-sour side. And, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that kind of dawned on me one day, you know, uh, maybe a year ago. It's like, you know, we we do certainly clean beers. Curio is a beer we make a fair a fair bit of, and um, that's a beer we do blend in fresh unoaked beer. But we don't have any beers that we go through what uh, the same kind of process that we do with our sour beers, as in a whole bunch of different base beers, different barrel types, et cetera. This, the project we just finished up was, um, you know, we basically I, you know, myself and. A handful of our senior brewers got together and we created four different base beers. Um, and then age said four different base beers and uh, 10 or so different barrel types. So, you know, whiskey, gin, rum, port, vermouth, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not going to remember all of them off the top of my head, but a whole bunch of different barrel types. And then went through a pretty extensive process once the beer was finished of tasting a variety of different blends and then in the end you know came up with the pastiche and like i said it's a it's a it's something we've done multiple times um on the sour beer side so we have a lot of experience doing it that way but it was fun to do it uh this way and you know do it from a clean perspective so that that should be hitting the shelves we just bottled it today it's got to go through bottle conditioning so probably hit the shelves in uh you know first or second week in january something like that Nice. Jason Perkins, uh, the brewmaster for Allagash Brewing. Thanks so much for joining us on Drink This Beer this week. We appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Definitely. Now, if uh, you like the show, if you're uh, listening to Drink This Beer and you get a chance, be sure to subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, become a supporter. Patreon.com slash beerguys. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Drink This Beer. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. More beer stories? Head to BeerGuysRadio.com. Follow the Beer Guys on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Want more craft beer news? Listen to the Beer Guys Radio Show, available every Saturday morning. Drink this beer. Produced and developed by Tim Dennis and Aaron Williams. Part of the Beer Guys Media Radio Network. BeerGuysRadio.com.